a lady called Murray Hope, together with her, in the 50s, her husband Tony Neitz, started the Atlantean Society. And they started it because it was, they were having some very interesting channelings coming through, both of them, about the religion of old Atlantis. And they wanted, they felt it was so important, uh, so important not because of what was, but because of what is going to be on the planet. And talking about the axis tilt that was, and the axis tilt that's going to be, and how we can learn from what happened. And so because of the coming changes, they thought it was so important to start the Atlantean Society. And that's, that's the one thing that I felt very strongly towards. So therefore, I tend to use Mary Hope's work an awful lot. Uh, I've got a great respect for Mary Hope's work. She is extremely thorough. She's very thorough on her science work. She's very thorough on her history, and she's very thorough as a psychologist. So it's her material that I'm going to introduce to you. You need to start off with the serious connection. You can't really do Atlantean religion without talking about serious. And this book is, so she's very much a factual lady, and it's the history and the science, the proof in other words, of the connection of Sirius and this planet. From that, the, the books The Lion People and The Pushers and the Crystal People, again, very full of science, very full of, of facts, but also to do with the religion of Sirius. And the book on practical Atlantean magic, which seems to be an exploration and an elaboration of little booklets that came out in the 1950s, middle 1950s, uh, of channelings. Remembering that when these channelings were done, the people that they came through had never heard of Atlantis. They'd never heard of the history and what, you know, the, what Nigel's been talking about. They'd never heard of it. It was completely new to all this. So the information that came through them was very astonishing, particularly the information about the coming Earth changes which is what is emphasised so much is the coming Earth changes and its connection with what happened to Atlantis. The Syrian connection is important. It's important because it appears that this planet was uh, visited not just once but many times by and by people, not, not human people, but, but, but entities from Sirius. And that the animal man that they found here was genetically reprogrammed and was eventually, the, the, the hybrid was eventually mated through some form of cloning with the visitors from Sirius to form what we now call modern man, the, the seven-foot chap that uh, Nigel was describing. These visitors gave th their, their new servants, is what they did it for. They didn't do it for sort of just for fun, oh, let's make a new race. They wanted servants, they wanted workers. And, uh, you know, they, they made these new artificial artificially made people 
to, to work in their gardens and in their minds which is why the oldest person skeleton found is in Africa it's only about 100,000 years ago this, this woman called Eve apparently has been is all, are genetically all of our mother in, 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 in the South Africa where of course the mines were it's rather like with Egypt the older you go back in Egypt in time the more advanced the civilization was and the more advanced the religion was you know, not, not in modern times, but the further back you go, the more pure the religion was, the more spiritual they were, and the more uncorrupt the society was. And it was over thousands of years that the Egyptian religion and society deteriorated into using black magic and deteriorated into uh, using slaves and, and all sorts of... Uh, nasty things and this apparently what happened on Atlantis when Atlantis was originally seeded from Syria and they brought with them their knowledge and their spirituality which the new newly formed human race took on board things were going very well they, they took they, they had their there are other races uh, coming on from Lemuria, what was believed to be Lemuria, the land of Mu. And uh, they were used generally as the sort of workers of the planet. And the hybrid race that was engineered, sort of cross between the Syrian visitors and the animal man, were the sort of prosperous normal inhabitants, the things went quite well until generally the population intermarried a bit too much now they had a very strict rule uh, was that they, they, they had a very strict caste system there was at least three races the, the, the black race, the red race and the white race and the white race were the priests and they, they carried this particular gene and it's this gene that's so interesting in proving all this because they have, they've, they've looked at mummies in tombs and pyramids and they've looked at skeletons and all sorts of proof to find that these things appear to be true, not just myth. Uh, the normal races in Egypt, for example, uh, apparently are, are O, O group, that group. But three out of four of the mummies are a group quite alien to normal population and if you notice if you see any pictures of the eye of Horus they've got a blue pupil whereas the inhabitants of Egypt had brown eyes and dark skin and dark hair there does seem to be in this, this, this family that tried to keep their genes to themselves that were fair haired or red haired and fair skin and blue eyes that uh, when this race began to intermarry with more and more of the other races then the original teachings became corrupted and degenerated so that the, the, the closer we come to modern day on Atlantis 
you know, rather like on Egypt, the more it's deteriorating and running down and becoming corrupt. So according to your information, both factual and information in the way of memories and channeling, according to which period of Atlantis they are referring to, so will be your reactions. Uh, you know, if you get your information about the latter day, and if you, your memories of the latter day, you'll have a lot of fear, a lot of loathing. Mainly because you, you, you were active, or the, the, the people involved were active in it themselves. And so, rather like a child who's put his hand into fire, goes, ouch, not touching that again, not touch fire again. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, people with memories, strong memories of a later age don't like touching into Atlantis. But if your channeling and your information and your memories are of the age of, uh, say, Virgo, which is about 12,000 BC, then you will have a different... That was, you know, the, the, the age of Virgo and the age of Leo were called the Golden Age, when you had all this you know, prosperous society and peaceful living and organised society and religion. But if it came towards the past Gemini into the age of Taurus with the bull cults, the sacrificed victims to the bull cults, then that's when things are deteriorating. And so uh, what I'm going to offer you in the way of a description of the religion of Atlantis applies to the Virgoan period. Alright, so if there's nothing... Nothing the sort of, you know, I'm not offering you, this is how it was, version. Just one, one phase of development of religion over thousands and thousands of years. And I think rather like we have our own, in this country, our own uh, variations of Christianity, I think probably the same happens on Atlantis as well. So the Syrian connection brought through the, the basic religion uh, and uh, the Syrian energies of course were, were, were different to this planet and, and, and their resonating energies were 5, 7, 8 and 50. There were 12 planets in the solar system they said they knew because they passed them on the way in. There was 12 planets. And, and in fact, there's quite clear descriptions of them that have been um, given by people now with records in Egypt and in Africa. The Dogon people are, are one, one such tribe who have still got records, you know, of what was told them about the solar system. It's only very, very recently been verified by our scientists and astronomers. So it's accurate information that has been given. And apparently there were three, three major planets to the Syrian system. Sirius, what's called Sirius A, Sirius B and Sirius C. Sirius A seems to be the strong, positive, feminine planet. The, what's, what's Murray described as being resident into the Isis of Egypt strong, motherly, consolidating, nurturing, 
or the positive side of a feminine type energy. And the complementary to her was Sirius C, that she describes as the Nephetus or Hathor, which is the negative feminine. Not negative being evil, but negative being receptive. And Sirius C is called the hidden planet because it's very dark, it's very difficult to see. It's, it has been seen with our telescopes by astronomers, but it's gone again. <laughs> it's, it's called the hidden it's, it's not lit up very well, very difficult to see. And that's to do with the feminine psyche, the intuition, uh, you know, the, the, the watery side that's, that is thought to be feminine. So Sirius B is the masculine, what is known as masculine type energy, which has, which has equal parts of positive and negative, active and passive. And so it's acting as a balancer, the harmonizer in that particular system. And that she likens to our theorists, the, 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 uh, the Greek, the Egyptian god. So Sirius A and Sirius B are the, the two fires of solidification and dispersion it's in Egypt, we called the, the Ket Ket, double fire, which is often in, in symbolic form shown as a double axe. And uh, so these were reflected, you see, in Atlantis, these, these planets and their energies, uh, the triad of of these energies. The Syrian gene seemed to, was, was taken to Atlantis and, and the, the story of the, of Assyria, of Assyria being chopped by his brother Set and Set was to depict the energies of chaos. And they see that, or Murray sees that as the Syrian gene that was implanted in the Atlantean people being dispersed around the planet as what happened with, with, with the colonization the, the, the body, his body genetically was dispersed and of course the, the regenerative organ was lost you know you can't, you can't replace it in other words you can't reproduce it, it's gone, once it's gone, it's gone Why was it called a dog star? It's because Anubis, who you might know from Egyptian magic, the jackal-headed god, was supposed to be the messenger between the Syrian sun and our, and our solar system. Not, of course, that these, these, these gods actually had jackal heads or lion heads or cow heads. They were just personifications of energies. And that's why it's called Dog Star, apparently, because of this connection with Nubis being the messenger between the galaxies. So I wouldn't in any way, I'm not in any way an expert on any of this. I'm just sharing with you what I have collected, like Nigel, over the years, and what I have felt was, in, was coming over in Murray's book, in books, plural. So like myself, you might feel that, you know, you don't quite agree with all of it, but it uh, depends, I said, on, on when you resonate. There seem to be three tiers of religion. There's the, the secular side, the general public, rather like you have nowadays. 
There's the, there was the level, the tier to do with sociology, community work, healing work. And there was the exclusive layer, rather as, as there is now, of the inner initiate working with metaphysics. They tended to wear, this is information so that it's, it's come through in channeling, which seems to be born up in, in other sort of uh, other uh, sources, that the general colour robe was for the higher order was white. Blue was the colour of the robes for the healers, psychologists, sociologists. And pale green was the normal priest's robe for the secular side. Moon religion, lunar religion was not applicable here because the moon, it is said, was not in her present position. There were no tides around Atlantis. And therefore the moon as part of religion was, was simply not there. The main focus for their religion was the sun. But the sun was the, the aspect that seemed to be given over to the general population. The occult side, the esoteric side, seemed to be with water, the great deep, the great sea, and also to do with cosmic stellar energies. So the population had the nice sun to see in the sky and the sun of course kept their, their vegetation and their animals and they could see the sun and that, and that was, you know, they could, it was acceptable for the population. But there, there seemed to be this, these other orders for the initiates of understanding to do with the great mother of the sea, the great depths great sea to do with the primordial state and I said the stellar mysteries uh, to do with the cosmic energies so you, you have this this overlap of uh, apparent different beliefs but they're not of course they're just part of the whole so they did believe in one source of life one God uh, one creator but they saw that creator manifesting in many different forms as I think a lot of us do and so we say that they worshipped many gods I think somebody coming back to some of our churches in a church of St. Thomas St. John St. Peter St. Mary St. Margaret might say in a thousand years that we worshipped many different gods but we know we don't we just have that particular aspect through the saints or through the angels that we can choose to focus on one particular aspect. And I think that the, that's what's happened on Atlantis. They, their year was 360 days. The extra five and a quarter days seemed to come in after this big, uh, or at least one of these big collisions on the planet. Our bodies, you probably know, I don't know if you do know, but our bodies are actually attuned, our bodies work on a 25-hour cycle. If you are put in the, in, in the caves for several months and left there, 
your body will assume a day of 25 hours, not 24. It seems as if that was our natural, original bio, main biorhythm. The calendar was based on the star of Sirius, of course. Lots of, lots of historical evidence about that. The calendar was based on Sirius. There were four seasonal festivals based on the four elements. Fire of transformation, which normally lasted about eight days, which was in the middle of the first quarter of the year. Three months later, you had the air festival, which was to do with communications. Communications with the cosmos, with interstellar communications and divinities. The fire transformation festival was held in temples. The air festival was held in high places. Three months later, the water festival, centering on creativity, took place on the seashore and I think this must have been the favourite with the people because they had lots of singing and dancing and gaiety and parties and I think it must have been one of their, one of their most favourites of the, of the year on the sea, on the seaside. And the Earth Festival focusing on unity, unity with the planet, unity with all life, on the planet and unity with the cosmos as a whole. These earth festivals were held in sacred circles, groves, sacred groves and in earth sites. And this was the time of the children, which I think perhaps we still have now what we call Christmas, the time of the children. Murray gives the God and goddesses of the fire. I, I can't pronounce it very well, but I'll have a go. Kit, Sin, and Philea. The air was the god Taku. Water, the god Keta. And the earth gods and goddesses, Danui, which we're going to do a little celebration to Danui later on after tea which was the, 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 the goddess of the earth, you see, our, our earth mother. And, and at Humtui. Now, while that Nigel was saying, it seems as if a lot of channelings are very, or most, not all channelings, are very highly coloured by the channel's own conceptions, prejudices, history. And so these names seem to me to be rather Egyptian-sounding. <laughs> Some of them... Said he's read, um, I think, about 250 channeled accounts of Atlantis, and all of them disagreed with all the others. <laughs> yeah. But then you see, if you think... Of, no, if anybody asked about ours, and then, we, you know, only three, 400 years ago, we had Elizabethan age. Yeah. A thousand years ago, we were in the, med, in the middle, you know, middle Ages. If you asked anybody... You know, you come from the planet Earth. What was it like? You know, even just a few hundred years, the differences, the reports, would be quite different, wouldn't they? Yeah. 
And of course, even on the same time, at the same time, different places, you get different versions, don't you? So, but I, I, but I do think that these names are a little bit Egyptian, uh, come a little bit Celtic. <laughs> but uh, there seem to be five male gods or male energies and three female divinities which at other times were reversed being five female and three male we're all the time talking about energies uh, yes the energies were made into divinities gods because that was what was easily explained to the population rather like today it's much easier to talk about Mary and Joseph going on a donkey to Bethlehem as a nice story around Christmas that goes well over it on a TV and the children love it. Uh, that it actually was actually talking about very sacred energies. But, uh, so here we're talking about cosmic energies but they're personified as deities. They recognised that their one God, their creator source, had within it polarities of order and chaos. So you had Osiris type, Horus type uh, divinity for the order and you had Set type for chaos. There were three daily rites that they had in their religion. The early morning rising sun, I think I must have missed out that one, I don't get that 10 o'clock, but <laughs> uh, uh, nevertheless for those that were up and about, they used to get up with the sun, not the sun was, their, was their, the god of their population, the general population, so they would get up to welcome their god every morning you see, the rising sun. And so they had a song and dance to the rising sun. Wouldn't suit you by the night order. I've worn that one before going to bed. Yes, good idea, good idea. Uh, then they had the, the high sun, the, the, they had the dance to the rising sun, not into dances in my mind. They had him, a hymn to the high sun at noon, and then the setting sun, a prayer to the setting sun one presumes that it was a prayer that was going to come back in the morning <laughs> but uh, uh, they had seven commandments that, was, that were given to them by the one creator and one thinks that maybe the one creator was maybe the scientist in his laboratory uh, there's, a lot, there's quite a lot of information about the laboratory's genetic program wasn't there and the, the Babylonian stories that that were given in, in the books of the Twelve Planets and Belovsky's books uh, as well of the, uh, of the Babylonian era describe these laboratories and, and, uh, and how they were depicted in the Babylonian Chaldean texts and of course in our own Bible so the main gods, goddesses were these and as I said you might find them rather Egyptian or Celtic because I do but uh, these are the eight as given by Murray Hope 
always remember the sacred numbers of 5, 7, 8 and 50 so there's 8 divinities that the one creator was uh, like rays coming out from the sun helio which was the masculine energy solar energy The crystal used in his temples and for healing with, with, with Helio was the white diamond. Their priests wore white, the, the, a pale coloured gold. The robes were not only coloured, but they had, to have, they had to have the correct metals and crystals that went with them because they used to use crystals a lot in their, in their uh, healing work and in their rituals the symbol apparently was the winged disc and the animal associated with him was the falcon now his wife was Heliona and also of course a solar deity and she had the blue diamond and her colour was azure blue and her symbol was the, the serpent or the Uraeus uh, the, the headdress with the serpent that comes up. Was Helio Arcanus connected with oh, God? Oh, yes. You see, because the priests, uh, at this particular stage, the high priests were also the rulers. Yeah. And uh, uh, the Helio Arcanus, or HA for short, who was the, the entity channeling this information, was the, the, the head priest, the chief priest. Mm. So Heliocanthus is the, you know, the, the high initiate of the sun. So what does Arcanthus mean? Well, it's the, 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 the wise one, the one, the one that, that knew, that, you know, the, uh, to do with knowledge, wasn't that the uh, mm. yeah. head initiate? It seems to be generally agreed that, that um, not only by my hope, but practically everybody writes it down to say it was centred around the sun. Yeah. We have uh, Marcel Honnick, the sons of the sun, and then Ignatius Janelli says it was... Yeah. yeah. But remember also Poseidon was very important. The sea was very important in their religion as well. Yeah. And and, and cosmic, you know, so with other stars. But obviously the sun was the main religion. It was the, the main religion for the population. It was the, the well known one. Mm. The others I said were for more for more uh, intellectual so would Mithraism, which was the Roman sun worship, was that a, a sort of degenerate yeah. survived descendant of Yes, yes. Well, they, you know, they colonised and they mm. had visitors and they from other parts of the world. Taku, a male energy, he was the god of time and space. Taku and his wife, Ketar, were supposed to be our direct ancestors that they were the pair of our direct ancestors that actually came from Sirius uh, that we were you know their, their genes were, were what was mixed with the animal man to make our species Taku was to do with time and space his crystal was the amethyst colour violet and the caduceus and the dolphin now the caduceus as you know is, is still today the main symbol for life uh, still used by the medical profession and healing organisations 
and we now know that it relates very much to the double coils of the DNA in each cell that carries the programming and carries the life giving essence in our bodies so if they were our genetic ancestors it makes very good sense that their symbol should be the caduceus doesn't it and uh, Katar who was his consort she was the goddess of music art poetry and dance uh, her stone was the aquamarine turquoise colour and her symbols were the sistrum and her animal was a cat and the all domestic animals she was a goddess of all domestic animals and the sistrum again is not just a musical instrument uh, it, anybody do you all know what a sistrum looks like it's a like a piece of wood that's bent around and there's four bars going across to represent the four elements and on those four bars are uh, what do you get on tam tambourines? The sort of things you get on tambourines, like bell things. And uh, I think I've probably got a picture of them in here. So again, we're talking about energies, and we're also talking about sound. Sonic energy was very important in in Atlantis. I'll pass that diagram, and you can see the, the symbols there. So the system would have been used as a part of sonic therapy but also the, the four elements were depicted in the sistrum and they're working together Kayet Sheen uh, the god of protection and retribution protection and retribution which was rather like Sekhmet aspect of Hathor in Egypt who was the, the right eye of the god Ra she was divine protection and divine retribution and uh, this seemed to be what was spoken of here Ke, Ki Et Sheen the stone was ruby the colour orange and his symbols were the flaming orb Remember the, the, the eye of the god Ra, you see, would have been, would have been fire, wouldn't it? And the sun. Ra was the sun god. And the symbol was a lioness, and the, the, the god of, uh, was the god of wild animals. And another, another one of the symbols were the two flames, blue flame and the orange flame. The blue flame of fusion, fusion of energies, and the orange flame of fission of energies and uh, it's interesting that these are now coming out in uh, there is now nuclear fission recognised isn't there as a source of energy my brother works in nuclear energy and he tells me that nuclear fission is the the new uh, the new god of the science nuclear fission fission, 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 yes, fission, yes, yeah. fission yeah. Uh, they become fusion, aren't they, in about half a century? Time. Yeah. 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 Well, one is the atoms splitting, isn't it? And one is the atoms, the atoms fusing together. So you 
No, I think it's a bit this this mold and then the mold, the atoms I think are put together, aren't they? Yeah. The atoms are fused into with the sun significantly and that's the hydrogen and yeah. helium are fused together. Or rather mm. that's right. Uh, it's either that helium becomes hydrogen or hydrogen becomes helium and uh, helium becomes hydrogen or hydrogen becomes helium in the sun. And I can't remember which, but it's a fusion process that's going on in the sun and we're trying to copy that in which was achieved at Callum near Oxford for the first time. It's also got something to do with alchemy as well. One of the people that comes to one of our groups is a scientist and uh, a very eminent scientist. And uh, he agrees that uh, nuclear fission is to do with alchemy. And so uh, these things aren't just myths and legends, they, they actually have scientific, ener they're actually energies we're talking about that actually form part, part of life and part of the solar system and part of the planet. You know, the, uh, right, Da Nui, Da Nui, that we're going to have a little festival of later on, Da Nui, feminine, this was the, like, the, what people call it, the Earth Mother today. She was the goddess of children, the goddess of nourishment. And it's in her honour that I'm wearing green, you see, because we have to wear green at her festival. Her, her crystal was the emerald, and her colour is mid-green. Her symbol is the tree, and also the horse, in particular the white horse. The white horse being a symbol of purified passion. And the equidistant cross. It's interesting because we have a number of white horses in the southwest of England. That, south, that's right. On Green Hill, as you see. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why, because the green mother, green, the green land, the emerald, and then the white horse. Uh, I think perhaps also the horse is to do with Poseidon, because the, the white waves on the... Yeah. It, because there was no tides, the vegetation of Atlantis used to grow right down to the water's edge. So you would have like, the waves lapping against vegetation mm. and uh, there seemed to be some sort of connection there. Now, Phil, Phil A-E-R, Phil A-E-R, the feminine, the, the goddess of wisdom and philosophy and science and architecture. I'm pleased that a feminine divinity was in charge of science and architecture. So I got an interest in sacred geometry and philosophy because I think as a female, I get landed with music and cooking and art and and spinning. All these sort of old old ideas of goddess. I mean, oh, give me a book and a sort of you know and uh, you know a bit of calculations any day rather than a cooking recipe but <laughs> the crystal or the, the stone for filet-e-r is a sapphire the colour was royal blue and the symbols were the masonic compass and the parrot I'll have to consult Mary on this I feel it on this month parrot oh. Why not? Arkanuti, Arkanuti, was the god of negotiation and of chaos, and in particular negotiating 
alien energy fields which I can imagine was quite useful if you're used to space travel but I think we've got quite a few alien energy fields on our planets haven't we the, the, the crystal was topaz uh, clear yellow was the colour and the symbols were the crystal torch this is, this is like a sort of solar energy it gave a blue white light now it's, the makers of the pyramids it makes you wonder you see there were never any black soot marks or torch marks inside the pyramid how did they get their light to do the paintings uh, yeah there's no evidence of torches you know burning there there's no soot marks no burn marks some form uh, they do say that maybe they had reflected mirrors but even, but even reflected mirrors by the time it got to the inner parts of the, the pyramid would have been very dim to, to do their beautiful paintings by maybe they did the paintings before the pyramid was completed when it was still open top yeah, maybe then, then, then there would have been weather then there would have been evidence of weather on uh, in the inside you see but, but anyway uh, apparently th th there have been some there have been some artifacts found in I think some of the, the Mayan or Aztec um, tombs or, or pyramids whatever they're called that seem to be some form of batteries and you must have read them some form of batteries which was thought to be used for electroplating it was a primitive battery yeah from definitely before Christ yeah so anyway Murray says that there was a, a torch that had a blue white light that had a sort of eyelid over it that uh, it's quite clearly described in, in, in her books what and sort of technology uh, did she put the Atlanteans as having? she, she, she said that it, they had crystal energy they had sonic energy they used sonic energy to, to move things hmm. you know building work that sort of thing yeah. and solar energy she, doesn't, she says not, not nuclear energy not what she, she has found what about TV submarines and aircraft? well if they were they were, they were sort of but by sonic energy, I would have, I would have thought. Something like Scott Elliot then. We don't seem to have much in the way of real proof that there was technology as such. I mean, there was manufacture, for example, but no factories. They used to use a lot of telepathy and a lot of um, out-of-body uh, communication. Yes. Uh, so the healing, the healing. Orders would choose the crystals and the colours according to which aspect of the god was thought to be necessary to uh, pray to or to invoke or to plug into or whatever. There were nine magical laws: laws, the law of rebound. If if is that similar to karma? I was going to say, if, if anybody's, anybody's sort of a bit concerned about what I'm saying, sort of stop me. The law of rebound is basically whatever you give out is going to come back to you. So that you're very careful what you send out in the first place. If you've got to go and clear up after yourself. The law of three requests. It's not much good. Uh, 
just putting your request in once you have to do it three times it's law three request cosmic law three request the law of challenge well like very sort of said to people come to my groups if anybody comes to your front door you know you challenge that person say yes excuse me what do you want you don't sort of say well yes you know come on in you always challenge an incoming energy you want to find out what it is is it going to be an energy that's going to be helpful to you to promote your well-being or is it going to be a burglar or the, or the electric man <laughs> that you prefer to avoid you know you have to, you have to ask for their card ask for their symbol ask for their name for the law of challenge it's very important and a lot of channeling is falling down because people haven't learned the basic laws of how to handle these energies the law of free requests no good sort of saying can I have your name sir once you've got to do it three times and you have to challenge you don't accept everything that comes through your mind or anybody else's mind just because they appear to be what they say they are well like somebody coming to your front door might look very nice in a nice three-piece suit carrying a you know suitcase or whatever you know might look very respectable on the other hand the suitcase might be full of, of burglar's tools he's going to rip you off with or maybe he's going to be the sort of local rapist or whatever you just don't accept you know you, you have to make inquiries challenge the law of equalities which means basically when two people meet in a narrow corridor one's going to have to give way and the one that's, that's more, that's more uh, elevated and evolved is going to get right of passage and the one that hasn't, isn't so evolved is going to have to give way <laughs> I think it, the Wild West had it in quite a good way that there's always a faster gun you know so you don't, go on ever, you don't ever go around bragging about what you can or can't do because somebody out there you know you are invoking then the law of equalities to come upon you and somebody bigger, more advanced uh, is going to make sure that they meet you in a narrow passageway or, or, or life will um, to uh, put you in your place the law of equalities the law of balance and equipoise this means that each, each thing or each energy or each manifestation works best on its own frequency each has its own home ray, its home frequency on which it works well out of that particular frequency it's not going to, it be, it's going to be unpoised, it's not going to be unbalanced and this is what the most, uh, most of what is called evil is evil seems to be misplaced energy on its own home frequency it will do no harm but out of its own home frequency it's going to cause problems and so most healing means rebalancing energy, putting back misplaced energy where it belongs and will do no harm the law of summons the law of summons says you cannot invoke uh, an energy higher, t higher than 
which you have equipped yourself to call upon. Otherwise, you cannot go calling on some high master or some high divinity unless you've equipped yourself to know the telephone number. You've got to know the formula. You've got to know how to summon. You've got to know what to ring. If all you've got is the clerk on the desk, that's who you're going to get. And he might turn up saying, yes, I'm from ICI. Well, he might be from ICI, the clerk on the desk. But if you actually want to talk to managing director of ICI, you've got to have enough inside information, enough connections to know how to contact the managing director. So whether a being comes along and says, yes, you've invoked ICI, here I am. <laughs> uh, and, and, but who within ICI you have, in fact, you know, contacted is another point. It's so, interesting that you should use ICI as an example because you could... So that symbolizes I see, S double I, I see myself. Oh, that's good, yeah. You're really seeing yourself at the level you're at. Yeah, oh. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so the law summon says that, you know, you can't, you know, you're not, you can't summon anything to which you haven't equipped yourself. So all these people that go around saying that they just had tea with the Archangel Michael, you know, they talk to him regularly. Um, I don't know. So, I see I'm first, and then I see you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> the law of polarities, you know, for every, every, every uh, energy it has, one extreme is going to have a complementary extreme. Sorry, I didn't think about that. Everything has a complementary extreme. Yes, in, 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 in any energy, there's going to be a sort of a, 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 an extreme of, of one degree on one side and the other. Could you explain that? I'm not very understanding the that. Well, if we have the energy of heat, you're going to have a range within heat of very, very hot. And within the energy that's called heat, something that's very, very cold, haven't you? Yeah. If you've got an energy of any particular frequency, you're going to have what looks like two extremes, but actually they're the same energy. How do you explain this on a human level? I mean, you get introvert and then the opposite of that is extrovert, that sort of thing. That is true, but I'm sure you know that with each person, that is balanced. For a person that appears to be extrovert, there is an introvert hiding behind a mask. Mm. And for every person that appears to be very introverted and quiet and reserved, there's actually a, a sort of a, a bossy extrovert waiting to grab you when you're not, suspe not suspecting them. But each person seems to have the, the polarities, don't they? Mm. In the, the law of cause and effect, which you could call karma, that uh, you know, you, you, what happens to you in life tends to be an effect uh, of your own causes. Yeah, but that's law of rebound. That's, I, put some, it's, it's, I think they are slightly different. Law of rebound uh, is probably more immediate, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Uh, she has a, quite a good description of them here in the Celtic magic book because what she, she's written 18 books so far she's working on another two at the moment and uh, lots of material is crops up in different books so that uh, she usually refers you in her books the, the, the latter books to this one for a full explanation of those particular laws the law of rebound says that 
which designates a superior force will always rebound a lesser power. In other words, should you, the aspirant, come up against another practitioner or a disembodied energy that is more adept or stronger than you, whatever you project in his or her direction will return to you plus the force of the rebounder. So it's not quite the same as karma. No. Uh, the law of abundance. The law of abundance seems to be one that the newish people generally are not very well equipped you know, to, to tackle, mainly because we've been afraid of it, I think. Basically it is that the universe itself, or the planet itself, has all abundance that anybody could possibly want or need. But that there is something within us that apparently blocks that abundance coming to us. And that blocking mechanism comes from our, our deepest psyche. Uh, and uh, for some reason we don't believe that we deserve it or need it or ought to have it or whatever. And so therefore our own deep thoughts are in fact blocking the abundance coming to us. So what we have to do is convince ourselves we're all well-deserving chaps and chapesses and uh, wait for it all to flow in, you see. This is the theory. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll let you know whether, whether this works. Uh, so the, basically there was 12 planets in their astrology system. And uh, there were the usual ones of Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto one that's called Pan, one that's called Vulcan, and the, 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 I don't use the moon as such because the, the, the moon was, was uh, not in the picture as such, but if I very much like this connection here with this book, The Twelve Planets, that does talk that every 3,000, this is all the base with facts, every 3,600 years, this planet that is basically where the asteroid belt is comes around and causes disturbances on this planet <coughs> and uh, the good news is it's due soon next hundred years or so it's due back again so <laughs> uh, this was the twelfth planet that uh, uh, I have to, the Mary herself is not a great believer on that book, but I quite like it. It fits in quite well, the 12th planet on there. Yes, the last time was 1500 BC. It should be in 2100. Yeah. That leaves us a little time. It's either 3600 or 3500. Mm. It's not exact mm. because of a couple of things. Yeah. Mm. So you're, you're a believer as well, are you? The prophecies are true, but the end of thousand or two thousand one hundred twenty or something like that. Yeah. But it can happen any time. Uh, that uh, yeah. So that's the good news or the bad news, isn't it? hit by an asteroid, mm. part of the asteroid belt, more frequently than they originally thought, and the, I think the last big explosion um, occurred at Tunguska. In 
And uh, that wasn't a big asteroid. That, that was something fairly small, a meteorite or something. This, they, they think it came from the same. The microphone, yeah. And um, mm. the last big one was probably the one I was talking about, 8,500 BC. Mm. That was uh, six miles in diameter, yeah. so that was quite large. Well, this Marduk is not supposed to be an asteroid, it's supposed to be actually a planet. It originally hit a planet, it was where the asteroid belt is now, and split it. And, and so that it's not itself it's supposed to be an asteroid, but just a planet coming from every now and again, you know, every, every 3,000 and a half years and uh, so that it's, you know so that there have been asteroids yes visiting planet or hitting it it doesn't it, have to be very big I mean no it doesn't have to be the asteroid which wiped out the dinosaurs what 65 million years ago it's only something like 10 kilometers and yeah that was all it needed to be in size and yeah 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 but it's, it's, it's very good. It's very good information in this book and the other books that Sitchkin uh, um, has written. Written quite a few books that have got the same sort of material. That uh, say that it's not actually an asteroid, but it's a planet that helped form the asteroid belt. Now the practices that they had, they were very strict and having no alcohol or drugs because they did use an awful lot of. Their, their magic was basically mind magic. Syrian magic is mind magic, using your mind constructively and healthily. And of course alcohol and drugs distort your glandular system, distort your energy field so that you cannot control what you're doing with your mind and you get a lot of interference. So definitely no alcohol or drugs. Their practices seem to be ritual observances and advanced mental exercise, as I said, to do with cosmic and stellar magic. The requirements that needed to be, to be uninitiated in this type of work. This is, this is your, a pair of pencil handy. This is your, your list that you will require. A full comprehension of as above, so below type philosophy. Your recognition of your own cosmic roots. That is knowing your own personal sonic. Your own personal sonic, your own personal symbols that will connect you in, your telephone number that connects you in with your own God ray, God connection. Facing and dealing with your own shadow. Negotiation of the regions of chaos without contagion. In other words, like Jesus did, going down into hell and helping people in hell without yourself being affected by hellish conditions. You have to be able to negotiate chaotic conditions, set sethient conditions without allowing them to contaminate you or you're not going to be able to help the people you're trying to help or the situation you're trying to help. And you have to, uh, most initiation procedures are in gradually acclimatizing you to the conditions of chaos and of sex or if you like Satan. You have to acclimatize yourself to dealing with these energies in a balanced, healthy way that do not affect you before you can be effective. It's no good talking about 
love and peace and happiness if you don't know how to deal with the opposite. You've got to know how to roll up your sleeves and get set in with the opposite and do it happily. That it's not going to affect you. Otherwise, you know, like the people found in Germany, just sort of saying nicely to Hitler, please don't roll it over with your tank. It's not very effective. You have to know how to deal with, with chaos. So dealing with, um, helping to deal with people who are in a, in, in a bad position or dealing with negative situations or helping, to, helping out with personality problems is actually very valuable in education, spiritual education. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, you have to be able to handle multi-dimensional awareness without suffering psychological fragmentation. And then you have to handle psychic sensitivity to multi-frequencies without acquiring schizophrenia. The only medicine that causes this is schizophrenia. Yeah, yeah. And I said that people that are walking around as sort of incarnations of, of various archangels and grandmasters and even Lucifer incarnations I've come across um, are either sad or they're entertaining uh, or educational but uh, they're people that have suffered psychological fragmentation they haven't kept their balance they haven't kept their wholeness they've gone off at a you know on one aspect you have to be able to handle externalization and that means taking your mind outside of yourself to go and visit another place another time, another person and handle that situation to externalize yourself from outside your body. You have to be able to acquire an ability for self-healing. It's also, it's obviously very helpful and necessary that we should be humble enough to accept healing from each other but we should be able to some degree to have some element of self-healing which sonic energy is very good for self-healing. Chanting and certain forms of music uh, are, are, are very good at tuning up your body because your body is like a, a violin. The nervous system is like the strings and if you're, you're chanting correctly at the right pitch and the right depth uh, then you, you, will, you will better help yourself quite considerably. You have to be able to break free from this solar system via the solar essence. Well, if we came into the solar system from another one, no problem. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll have a look for a bit of red cotton that we, we, that we, we tied, the, tied along the, the pathway of the labyrinth and we'll follow our way back. And for one reason why it's important to go back, because we, we, we incarnate on, on cycles, cycles within cycles, and you cannot get back out of the solar system unless you go back on the labyrinthine path you came in on. So you've got to recognise where you've been before you can find your way home. So if we're going to get off of this planet safely, we've got to get back through Atlantean conditions. That we're, on, we're going to have to go back to the cycle. Back, back round the cycle. 
and not to repeat the Atlantean traditions, but to redeem them to get back home. We have to understand and negotiate the time-space continuum. Continuum. If you think, if you talk about reincarnation, you are going to be reincarnating here from now till, well, I'll see you in a million years' time. Because reincarnation implies linear time. And linear time only applies to this dimension. It's extremely limited. And it's going to keep you on this planet as long as you wish to believe in reincarnation. Believe in co-incarnation, yes. Believe in simultaneous time frequencies, yes. Learn to travel from one time frequency to another, yes. But don't think of it as a linear series of existences. They are co-existing. Co-incarnation is the word I, I use. To, to, to get out of using reincarnation because reincarnation implies successes one after the other if you look at modern physics it will tell you that the time doesn't apply it's an illusion caused by this dimension time is actually uh, they are, they're like successive of, 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 of simultaneous waves that are happening all the time so that time is not linear you, you can go into co-lives quite easily but they are not they are not past or future only as much as we are looking at them whilst we're in this body in this dimension in this body in this dimension it appears to us to be past or future but get out of this body out of this dimension and you will see that there is no linear time so I use the phrase co-life rather than past life to me it's more accurate to do with physics so you have to recognise and identify alien essences and alien intelligences so we come back here challenging aren't we so there's no good the person coming to the door and you say right, I'm challenging you show me your symbol show me your, your calling card if then you can't read what it says you've got to identify alien intelligences and alien essences continuation recognize identify alien essences and intelligences in different parts of the visible and invisible universes so you will have to learn to identify uh, visible like uh, Nigel talks about with his UFOs, these, these that become visible, that they, they materialize into our dimension. And there are many different kinds of UFOs, aren't there? Different kinds of beings, that yeah. aren't just one. You can't sort of stick up to one thinking they're, they're very friendly, invite them home with a cup of tea, because you might make an alien manifested that's uh, not at all very keen on human beings. So, you, you know, it always helps to be able to read, read the, the language and uh, see whose who's calling card you're, you're seeing and of course the invisible universes if people knew how to challenge properly and people knew the, how, to, how to read alien or, or non-human energies we wouldn't have all these conflicting informations coming through with channeling a great deal of channeling is subconscious 
trivial dross. I'm channeling is, is people's own projections, own wishful thinking, own regurgitated things they've read and heard purported to be some other entity speaking through them. It can be an entity speaking through them, but majority it is just their own subconscious regurgitated mess, I suppose. But I've got no, I've got no objection to having that as long as people are honest and say, "This is not the Archangel Michael talking through me. This is actually my own ideas and my own prejudices and my own information that I am presenting to you." Fine, I listen to that. No objection to that. Do it myself all the time. Doing it now. I'm not pretending to you as a challenge. This is me giving to you my ideas my information that I've learnt and I'm not pretending to be HA or anybody talking to you I'm me giving you my regurgitated information so I'm not complaining about it let's just be honest we don't have to pretend to be in trance and, uh, because that spoils it for the percentage of people that are doing genuinely, genuine channeling and have got genuine, genuine information to pass on to us it is vital to us at the moment on our planet. We need it. We need genuine channeling. I think um, people who do channeling, um, what you described, they're confused in themselves. Yeah. Um, they're touching something deeper within themselves. Yeah. And they don't really think it's coming from them. No. But that's, no. you know, they're being misled and yeah. as much as anything. This is why the groups that I teach, I, I have a quite, I hope, quite a strong... Uh, emphasis on getting to know yourself and about how the mind works and about psychology. Yes, would you agree? Yes. You come? Because, as I said, how can you read somebody else's calling card to know what your own is? You know, it's one thing to sort of ring up, ring up the telephone number to talk to the managing director of ICI or even a desk clerk. What if the phone rings for you? And you figure, who do you say you are? If you don't know who you are, you're going to have a very peculiar conversation. So you've got to know who you are before you pick the phone up. You know. Probably why I never say who I just say, hello. <laughs> you have to have the ability to change frequencies and to what is called shape shift. Either for self-protection or to accommodate the intelligences one is likely to encounter. This is one of the benefits about having co-lives that you know about, you see. Because if you're not going to talk to anybody that's going to talk to me now, I might have somebody who wants to talk to me, an alien intelligence, that's much happier with an Egyptian persona, or with an African Zulu persona. And so I could shapeshift, hopefully, um, if I was an Atlantean priest, yes, into that form that would be acceptable. In other words, it's a like frequency attracts a like frequency, isn't it? We're talking about, you know, you, you have to resonate to a similar frequency. So you, you make your own calling card fit what you're trying to pick up. 
also, also that it's very useful for, for protection. If you're getting an alien or, 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 or an energy come towards you, you don't like, and there you are, that's homing in on you because you are giving out a certain frequency yourself, then to put a shapeshift to a different form, a different energy, switch your knob, and then that energy bypasses you completely. Because you, you sidestep them. Now, the, the aim of Patricia Stelling have actually got an Egyptian persona or an African Zulu persona. You know, it's a difference. They, you know, whoops, they missed. You see, you've got a bit of made a change frequencies. Nature, you have to learn about the nature and work of the Archon, Archonic kingdoms. These are the, the Archons are the big lords that form the, that form the, the planets and the life cycles uh, and the entities within those planets and life cycles. They, they, they form them and they plan the eventual destinies and demises of these planets and life forms and also of the universes across. And some of them get to be quite big. I think you met some fairly big one there, didn't you? Just a, a, a forest-sized one of the counter-clerks you, you met. Well, the priests then were allotted posts according to their fitness. There was no democracy, there's no going to vote. You got the post according to what you were fitted for. At three years of age, the children were taken to the temple and they were looked at by priests that were sensitive and other kind of priests that could work out from the, the DNA, the, the genes, um, what that person was likely to be suitable for and then that child was trained in that particular line. There wasn't any votes. Wouldn't it be nice if our politicians had to be selected on whether they were suitable or not? <coughs> Wouldn't it be good? I mean, a, a chancellor who could add up would be marvellous, wouldn't it? In Atlantis they had people that were trained to select. They would look at the genetic material, the hereditary, and they would look at the psychology of the person and they would train people from very young age, three years of age, to, to, for certain posts. There was an initial judgment and after the initial judgment, about three years old, there was subsequently uh, a progressive judgment to see how well the original judgment held up uh, and, that the, and the progression of that person's skills and the different kinds of callings were indicated by the coloured belts or sashes and the stones and the metals in their headbands and jewellery. They're very keen on jewellery, the Atlanteans love lots of jewellery, lots, lots of bright colours. The belts that indicated the callings were the an azure blue with a high priests, orange Orange were the occultists to do with exorcism. Um, because the, the priests, when I say exorcism, it didn't just mean exorcism, uh, we mean exorcism. When a person died on Atlantis, they weren't buried or cremated. Their bodies were disintegrated with sonic power. So, we're talking about exorcism, we're not talking about your actual sort of bell booking candle, you know. We're talking about something to do with energies. Uh, there were dual 
coloured sashes that were worn by the priests of the Order of Passage. The Order of Passage were to do with the, with, with the rites of passage, that to do with birth, um, puberty, marriage. Apparently the men and women had menopauses and, uh, and of death. That was the orders of passage and they had rites of passage. And so they had dual, uh, dual coloured sashes. Uh, silver was the colour for priests to do with mental and psychological healing and this red coloured gold that was called say it for me, ori yes, it's like a red coloured gold apparently, or pink coloured gold and that was worn by the priests or the healers that did physical medicine and surgery that if you passed your final initiation, you got to wear gold-coated sandals. So, uh, I presume they kept them just in the temple, though they didn't, they didn't wear them out you know, on the streets. The healing was to do with the mind and the body, uh, as an, and a, a form of exorcism, but not what we would call exorcism, to do, to do more with energy dispersals. Uh, healing of animals, um, animals and plants are very much part of their, of their world and their religion, their society. Animals and plants were included. It wasn't us and them. Plants and animals were part of, of their life. And so healing of animals and plants was important. Healing of the earth, uh, using sonic energy, using crystal energy. Uh, the priests of the orders of passage would have these dual coloured sashes of sage green and a soft rose pink and they would have the metal plat platinum and the stone which is a bicoloured tourmaline of, of soft green and pink the initiates first of all when they, began, when they became sort of mature probably in their teens, twenties first of all they were sent off for three years to have to learn about the society and the community. Then after that they did four years of specialised study in whichever branch of the priesthood they were uh, deemed to be best suited for. And if they were to go on to be higher initiates into the, the inner mysteries then they would do seven years. And these mysteries were to do with science as much as religion because the two were science and religion were together, they should be. So it's, it's metaphysics and uh, to do with science and to do with various kinds of healing specialities would take seven years. Those are all added up, aren't they? That's right, 14 years altogether. Now the High Temple in the, in the capital city was uh, dedicated to the sun was supposed to be an eight-sided and it was surmounted by an equidistant cross. Not I remember seeing it myself, but that was uh, what she said. And uh, I've got here a list of various healing methods. Uh, solar energies we've, we've mentioned, sonics we've mentioned, music. And sonics to do with per people's personal sonics. Uh, you know, your body has a particular note and every organ, every tissue in your body has its own note, its own frequency. And so illness is said to be a musical disharmony. 
So by using sound, you can put the, the, uh, the frequencies correct, and so therefore the, so I mean by phonics. Uh, so they would also use music. They would work out of body on the astral to do healing. This also happened in Egypt. And this is why the, the, the pyramids were very, very uh, protective places, because they obviously had to be very protective places to take patients out of their body to do healing on them. The priest would go out of the body and so would take the patients out of the body, you see. They would put them to sleep in some way. Hypnotism or music or... Crystals and colour, genetic engineering, surgery, uh, telluric energies. Telluric energies are to do with the, with the planetary energies. Basically there were two. There was the passive type to do with air and fire and, and the passive type to do with water and earth. So active and passive, which later became known as dragon and serpent energies. Syrian, the, the religion that came from Syria, that most of this is based on, is to do with basically the Syrian energies are to do with the time causeway. And this is the number five to come back to again. The planet Earth resonates to the number four. Four planets, four directions, the usual fours you find. Syrian is five. And the five gives you that lift out of the circle up to the next rung on the spiral. It's a lift, the next time frequency. Also to do with the sine wave, the five takes you to the lower part of the sine wave to do with antimatter. Matter and anti-matter. <laughs>